Today on the Rachel Hollis podcast, I'm sitting down with Gray Malin. Now, you might not know Gray's name, but I bet you money you know his work. Gray is the creator of those gorgeous photographs we've all seen that are like beautiful beaches with like people like living their best lives and like Positano in Italy with like the umbrellas. And like if you Google him right now, you will be like, oh, my gosh, that guy. We sat down for a conversation about what it's like to build a business as an artist. How do you figure that out? And how do you monetize it more importantly? Gray had a really interesting story, and I was blown away by how many times he was so creative in getting to the next level. And even if you're not an artist, if you're any kind of dreamer or goal setter, you are going to love to hear how he built what he's built. This is my conversation with Gray Malin. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. I guess I'd love to just hear the story of how you built this brand. Because I would say this business, but it is such a a very specific and unique brand and you've done it in a way that I haven't seen anybody else do it. So will you tell us the story of of your career? Yes. So it all started when I was in high school. I was a junior and I just sort of walked into the photography darkroom by accident and I thought I saw all these chemicals and I thought wow like what is this trippy room and <laughs> what is photography and I signed up for you know photography 101 black and white film and I learned the process of <laughs> literally making an image and developing an image and all the mathematics of of photography and It was an instant obsession. Like I would spend every afternoon, literally every Saturday in the darkroom working on on developing my work. And I was just mesmerized really. And when I was heading off to college, my parents were very supportive of photography as a, you know, a passion, but they encouraged me to you know, go to a school where I could get a larger sort of more normal degree and pursue photography as a minor. And I ended up at this very unique school called Emerson College in Boston. And Emerson is kind of like a mini version of NYU. It's like in downtown Boston. It's a communication school. I was a marketing major with a photography minor. And it has just this really kind of incredible film and television program. So there's all these opportunities for students in Los Angeles, which is interesting. And I always thought I was going to move to New York City 
I grew up, my parents are originally from Manhattan. They moved to Dallas, Texas, where I grew up. And anyways, I was just like, New York, New York. And then I got a marketing internship while I was in college for Warner Brothers and Paramount Pictures marketing and PR division in Boston. And it was so like cool. Like I was like, I work for... (laughs) You know, I have an unpaid internship with Paramount and like Mark Wahlberg's coming to town next week to promote his newest movie. And I'm going to pick up, you know, Jennifer Hudson at the airport for Dream Girl. I don't know. It was just, I got really swept up into this whole thing. And I ended up getting a job because of this internship at Paramount Pictures in LA. And long story short, I moved out here, worked for the president of Paramount's division that focused on Oscars, like uh, sort of award-winning films. And I spent a year at his desk taking notes and listening. And I I learned a million things. It was incredible. But I ultimately realized that everyone in that world was in love with filmmaking. And I was like, great, this is not what you love. You love photography. What are you doing here? And I had this wake up call. I think I was 20, maybe 21. I was, you know, right out of college. So I took a leap of faith and I went to my family. I went to my best friends. I went to my sister and I said, if I need, you know, if I have this job, people think it's so cool. I work for the president of Paramount, but like, I'm unhappy. I want to pursue photography. Isn't this the time in my life? I don't have kids yet. I don't really have a ton of expenses. Shouldn't I, you know, try it now? And I think everyone was just like, great, like you, you will never be happy fully if you don't give this a chance. So I just took that leap of faith. I left my job on a Friday and I started interning. I mean, it just didn't happen like overnight, but I planned my my departure, left on a Friday. And on Monday, I started interning for a very famous photographer named David LaChapelle. And he did basically like, he's most famous for his celebrity portraiture. And I did that. And then I, I started taking classes about how, how does one become a fine art photographer? How does one take that step from like, oh, I shoot portraits, I shoot nature, I shoot weddings, I shoot kids, you know, how do you become a fine art photographer? And I found an incredible mentor. I took classes with her and she is, I guess, sort of 60 years old, her kids empty nester and photography for a lot of people is film. And it's this whole like, world of galleries and and this protocol. And I sort of was this 20-year-old in a class with, you know, 12, 60-year-olds who have come back to their passions later in life. They've Their kids have gone. They're finally focusing on what they love. And I was like, why do I need to have a gallery represent me? And they're like, because that's the way, that's how it's done. That's how you make a name for yourself. And I was like, you know, I hate to disagree, but like, I really feel like I could go and sell my work at this little cool, trendy flea market by my house in West Hollywood. And they all were like, what? Like, you know, how, how are you going to do this? Like, and I just thought, I'm going to go to Home Depot. I'm going to buy a pop-up tent. I'm going to buy fishing, like netting 
and I'm going to buy clips and I'm going to print my photographs and hang them up on the netting and I'm going to blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to do it. And it's like, you know, that 20 year old energy of like, I can just, I can do it. I'm not afraid. And I think I realized really quickly that that was like a little bit too, it was a, it was a like not exactly acceptable to a certain sort of, you know, my classmates and my mentor were sort of like, that's, that's pretty wild and, and out there gray. And I just had a gut intuition that I couldn't wait around for the gallery world to accept me. I needed to get going now. And while this was happening, and what year was this? What year was this? This was 10 years ago. So this was like 2010. Okay. And okay. I'm actually maybe 2009. What's crazy is that I started selling in the flea market and I loved it. It was every Sunday from like, you know, 7 a.m. to like 3 p.m. Fairfax. Fairfax in Melbourne. Yeah, the best flea market. The best flea market. It was so great. It was, I mean, it was humbling as could be, you know, you're in there, you're in the flea market, but I met my, you know, I lived just down the street. So I met like people walking their dog with coffee and I was like, oh, like, yeah, don't you love this place? Like I bought so much of my furniture here and I could just talk to people. I didn't have a social, some of the vendors in there were just sort of, you know, like a little out there. I just felt very like in my element. So once I started talking, and explaining my photography, people really started to feel connected to it. And I thought like, that's so interesting. There's um, there's something about the gallery world that's so cold and isolating. You're in like this room and the, it's, it's a little bit pretentious. And I was like, wow, this is making, uh, I felt like I was making art more approachable and photography felt a little bit more like humanized. I was humanizing it a little bit. And there were no other photographers in this flea market. Like there were some painters, but not, no one was doing photography. And, you know, this is before Instagram. This is before the popularity of photography was taking off. And I had switched into digital photography via this class I was taking. And I was able to print, you know, in my own home, I had bought a beautiful like printer that printed these inkjet sort of fine art prints. So I had sort of a lucky break one day um, where ultimately my my mentor was like, great, it's great. You've, you've got all these photographs you've taken all around the world from when I studied abroad in college and that you're working on series. But she was like, you know, you really need to develop a collection or a body of work. And I was like, interesting, a body of work. And she's like, what's the artist statement? What are you trying to say? And so my... My family has a ranch, like my parents have a ranch out in West Texas. And I grew up going to this little town named Marfa. And Marfa at the time was like, no one had heard of Marfa, but I went out there just on like a weekend trip, met my parents and my sister. And we were like staying at the Thunderbird Hotel. And I was like, hey, can we go check out this new art installation out in Valentine, Texas of it's like a Prada store, et cetera. Now it's so famous, Prada Marfa. And I took a photograph of it with my camera and I put it up for sale in my flea market. And it just was like, people loved it. They were like, this is Photoshop, right? And I was like, no, no, it's in Texas. It's an arts town. And anyways, this one photograph was so popular that I decided to make a body of work with like this as my muse. And I went back to Marfa with the help of like some friends, like from Marfa, like local township. I had this vision of a 
donkey or actually a mule. I wanted to shoot a mule next to the Marf, the Prada store. I just was like, this installation really is like all about making people sort of second guess, like what is art and, and how does, you know, it, it breaks down something in, and gives birth to something else. Like it's so hard for people to understand why a Prada store would be in the middle of nowhere. And I just wanted to bring a sense of humor to it. I was like, this is such a great opportunity to shock people with like a whimsical sense of joy. And clearly people from the flea market love this photograph. So we photographed this mule, this, my cousin came out and modeled. She had like, we had all these Prada shopping bags. We wrapped the whole thing with a big giant red bow. We like totally just, we we had cowboys out there. It was a riot. And I brought this body of work to the flea market and it just was like a huge home run. And this woman walked in one day, I think this was like the bigger break. And she, she's super cute. I'm so friends with her to, to, to this day. And I think this is the important part of why people need to put themselves out there. Like, this is why you should go to a flea market. Like if you have nowhere else to go and you think, oh, I can't go to the flea market. Well, this woman walks in and she's like, hi, I just was wondering, have you ever thought about selling your work online? And in 2010, literally no one was buying art online. It was not, it was like super taboo. And I said to her, I would love to explore this with you. Like I personally shop online, but like I never bought art online. Do you think this would work? And she was like, here's my card, send me a note. And The next big step for me was I got invited to join an online shopping website called One King's Lane. Do you remember One King's Lane? Absolutely. Okay, so someone sent me the, you know, just join here and enter your email. And I looked at it and it was like home decor, flash sales online. And I was like, this is totally perfect. I, I should sell my work on this website. And I reached out to info at One King's Lane. (laughs) I said, hey, I'm a photographer, you know, yada, yada. And sure enough, the co-founder wrote me back and said, we've just launched. I'd love to chat with you. And I I Googled her and I saw that she was having like a party, a design, like interior design type party in West Hollywood. And I went to the event and I introduced myself like I tried to play it really cool. And and I said, oh, I emailed you like last week about you know, and she was like, oh, that's so, you know, why don't you come to my office next Wednesday and show me your work and we'll talk about this. And I did. And I, I brought in my portfolio and she gave me a shot and I started selling the Prada Marfa series on One King's Lane. And it was like, I'd say at the flea market, I might, I might've sold like 30 prints every Sunday and I was selling them for like, you know, $60 each. And then I launched an event on One King's Lane and I sold like 350 in 72 hours. And I was like, and they were going out to people all over the country. Like it was not just this little West Hollywood flea market. And One King's Lane grew from like a couple hundred thousand subscribers to like, you know, six or, I have to Google this, but like millions and millions of subscribers. So I suddenly had this ability to get my name out there on this bigger scale that so many, you know, really no other photographer at my age, I sort of was able to. And it all was because like, 
I sort of broke the rules. Like I said, I don't want to go to gallery to represent me. I want to go to the flea market. And then in the flea market, I I meet this woman who sort of exposes my mind to selling online. And then I go to sell online and it's like a hit success. And then all of a sudden... I'm like, am I a Carly Rae Jepsen? Like, am I a one-hit wonder? Is it is it just me and this product? I feel like Carly Rae had two hits. Yeah. Okay. At the time, I think she only had one, but yes. Am I like, <laughs> I can't, you know, and I just thought like, Gray, you've got to keep digging and think about this. So I started to explore like, why do people love this Prada Marfa? Like what, what's, and, and, and what's the connection? And I started to scribble down like words, like, you know, I said humor, but also joy and like happiness and an element of, of surprise. And so this is a long story. This is the story people love. I love it. Okay. So I think you probably know this, but if you Google my name, the, it, there are like 5 million aerial beach photographs, okay? Aerial beach and Grey Malin have become like this, <laughs> this thing. And I, you know, I'm at the beginning of my career. I'm launching events on One King's Lane like every six weeks, selling hundreds of prints. I'm starting to build my own website. And, you know, I'm taking this influx of, of cash and, and trying to like build a shopping experience online. There's no competition. There are no photographers really jumping on this bandwagon. And I was like, great, why don't you go to Art Basel in Miami? And why don't you just go see what the art world's all about? Go for a weekend. You deserve this. And before, right before then, I had gone to Las Vegas with friends, like quintessential, like drive to Las Vegas for the weekend. (laughs) And it just happened that I stayed in a hotel room at like the Palazzo and I had from my window, like a 30, 30 stories up, I had this beautiful like aerial perspective right down on the swimming pool. So I had my camera and I shoved it up against the glass and I took a photo and I was looking at it on the back of the screen and I was like, God, this is so joyful. These people in this blue water and all these like, you know, colorful sunbathers. And so I made it my desktop screensaver. And for like weeks, I stared at it. And I was like, oh, love this photograph. And it's a freaking Las Vegas. Like, (laughs) you know, like, what is it about this photo? So when I was in Miami, I decided to go to some hotels and ask if I could go up to their roof and take a photo down on their pools. And I was like, "I'm I'm a student artist, yada, yada. And they all were like, can't you see we are sold out? It's Art Basel. We're super busy. Like, scram, kid, get out. Like, no. And I just was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Like, if only I can get up there. And so I decided to Google helicopters, comma, Miami. And I had never been in a helicopter in my life. I had like, oh my never even imagined this. And I called like the first one that looked like a decent website. And the man who answered the phone was actually the pilot. And he was like, what do you, you know, what are you looking to do? And I was like, oh, I like, I'm a photographer and I want to take an aerial photograph of a swimming pool. And he's like, oh, I'm, I love photography. I shoot all the time uh, from helicopters. Like, I'm happy to fly you. So I go out, take a leap of faith. He takes the door off the helicopter. He's like, so you're just going to sit here. I'll strap you in and just we'll hover and I'll tilt the the helicopter and then you can get the shot but like just feel free to lean out and and you'll have a microphone and I just was like 
I called my husband and I was like, you won't believe it. Like, I'm going to get in the helicopter to go get this photograph. And he was like, you do you. Like, you have the vision. <laughs> so what ended up happening was I took off. It was about a 20-minute flight just to get to South Beach. And in those 20 minutes, I kid you not, a storm blew off of the ocean, off the Atlantic. And everyone had just like cleared. It was just like one of those hours. So yeah, we got over there and the pools were gray. I was hovering and I was like, there's no one there. I couldn't, you know, it was whatever. And so I just was like, this isn't meant to be, this isn't meant to be. And as I like accepted this moment of defeat looking down, I lowered my camera and I looked up and that is when I saw South Beach, this wide sprawling beach just sitting there. And I said, oh, do you mind if we fly along South Beach for a minute? And he was like, sure, like no problem. So we did one pass. And as we flew, I shot these beach clubs with these like navy and white umbrellas, these like cool sun loungers and pink and white umbrellas and yada, yada. And I just was like, the geometry of this is fabulous. Like this is super chic. And the sand was like this blank canvas, et cetera, et cetera. And I got back to LA and I showed these images to my mentor and she was like, this is, this is it, great. Like this is the next big thing. Go for it. Like go shoot more work. And I literally like, I think I went to Kauai, Rio de Janeiro, Sydney and like San Francisco and all in like two in like eight weeks started building this portfolio of aerial photographs of the beach and then I launched an event on One King's Lane and it was like everything just sold out like instantly at the time I want to say this was like 2013 or so there weren't drones. Like no one had seen this. That's what I was going to say. When he first started telling this, I thought, oh, he's going to get a drone. And then I realized the timing doesn't match. Like, can you imagine? I mean, now you see this photography everywhere. You see it. um, Apple has it as like a pre-programmed background when you buy your phone and it's at, you know, it's gone everywhere. But I was just that first person who was there and it was a complete happy accident. You know, I was trying to get on to shoot a swimming pool I end up a helicopter shooting a beach and the beach is just so it, it's universally appealing. Everybody loves this. So to photograph it and to celebrate it from this new perspective, just, it instantly became a runaway hit. And, you know, I've basically dedicated, I, I mean, almost seven years of trying to shoot the world's most iconic and famous beaches from helicopters while also shooting so many other projects and the you know the idea here is that that the beach it gave way to my first coffee table book and what's interesting about coffee table books is that they never make the new york times bestsellers because they're they're quite expensive like it's just really hard and the fact that that book beaches and i know you're a new york times bestselling author like the fact that it made a 40 dollars book it made it to the top <laughs> was so right. unheard of in the, that our publish my publisher, which is Abrams, was like this, you know, they, they put so much behind me and they have, I've now published five books and I have my sixth book, like the proofs just, the wet proofs just arrived this morning and we we're like so excited. And it was, it's just like, the, the whole idea is that I got, known for something that took off and I'm so grateful for it. And it's paved the way for me to get to do now some incredible projects. Like I, I don't even know if people know how much 
sort of work I've shot, but I think there's 24 series and the, the aerial beach is just one of those series. And ultimately like this career path has been exceptionally, I've become like welcomed into private worlds. So I've been given access to hotels. Hotels will let me come and shoot this dreamy project on their property where they wouldn't have let, like, you know, you heard the story about how they told me to scram, kid, and young <laughs> photographer. So it helped me get my name. And now that I have my name, I'm able to do so much with it. And, and, and I've just been like, so devoted. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm 34 years old. And I mean, I've spent literally like this, the last decade just hustling. And, you know, I shot a project about climate change in Antarctica, where I brought inner tubes and yard flamingos and inflatable swan before inflatable swans were even the trend and, and beach towels and beach umbrellas. And I put them out into the Antarctica, like the tundra and shot them against this backdrop to make a statement. That was like 2014. And then I went to Bolivia and I shot a series called Far, Far Away in the Solar de Uni. And these, I was shooting these balloons and then these llamas we brought out to shoot. And I was like, what if we put balloons, like drape them on the llama? On the llama. And then like that became this like, iconic photograph. I, I couldn't believe it. And that I went back to Bolivia and I shot more. And I mean, then I shot Gray Malin at the Parker Hotel in Palm Springs. And that was where I was like, I just want, I just want to shoot a giraffe right here, like playing croquet and penguins by the pool and an elephant with balloons. And it's like wild that they let me do that. You know, this was back in like 2015, 16. And, and then that gave way to, I got to shoot at a members only swimming club in, in Santa Barbara called the Coral Casino. And I was shooting synchronized swimmers. And, and then all of a sudden I was like, these, these synchronized swimmers look so nostalgic. I was like vintage holiday, like my grandparents. And then I, you know, approached the Beverly Hills hotel and I was like, can I shoot a vintage project here? And that gave way to the breakers in Palm beach. And Anyways, it's just been like quite a journey, but the reality is, is it all started, you know, back in that flea market. And it was only 10 years ago that, you know, we weren't even shopping online for our lives. And now it's 2020 and all we're doing is, is shopping online. So it's been a fascinating sort of start to this career path. And I'm just sort of like, I would say I'm a very optimistic person and I just can't wait to like keep going. Like I'm already like dreaming up the next decade. It's just like, I'm, you know, it's just so, so much fire. I've, it wasn't until this year that like, I actually stopped to start telling my story. Like it gave me an excuse. I couldn't travel. I couldn't do what I normally do. So I started to sort of unpackage and, and tell the story of how does someone just go from being, I want to take pictures to like being almost like a household name and it is fascinating. Like there's a lot of other parts to the story. Like how did you launch lifestyle products? Like how did you get into Neiman Marcus? Like how do you do all that? And like, there's so many weird things, but it all started with, you know, just making phone calls, asking for networking 101. Like, do you happen to know anybody at so-and-so? And now it's just fascinating. But the, the publishing, making a coffee table book was like a huge a huge pivotal moment for me and making it to the bestseller category is like, 
you know, and I think we've sold well over a hundred thousand coffee table books, which is great for, you know, just the art world in general. Like they just don't sell in the same volume as like a novel, but it is amazing that if you can't own a piece of my art, you could potentially buy a book of mine. And if you can't buy a book, now we have double-sided puzzles that are $17 (laughs) and there you go. Have stationary and you know, just so much fun stuff. It's been a it's been an amazing journey and, and that's sort of the backstory to how it all like came to fruition. Well, you strike me as you're telling that story, you strike me as someone who's always looking for possibility or opportunity because that shows up again and again in that narrative of like, well, I could probably sell this at the flea market and um, maybe I could take a picture of a pool. Maybe I could get a helicopter. Like you're approaching life with this sort of like, there's potential all around you, it sounds like. Very much so. Like if the time isn't now, I don't know when the time is. Like it's always now. And I don't know. I I definitely, <laughs> I definitely am a person who absolutely believes that people can achieve so much as long as they are willing to start at the very beginning and and hustle. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I think that there's a, it's a very rare thing to turn to successfully turn art and a passion project into a business. Yes. And to do that in a way that was smart. So to do that in a way that you are retaining your rights and you are sort of controlling what the artwork is and how it goes out into the world. How did you even know how to navigate that? That's a great point. So I feel horrible sometimes. I see I see like artists who signed up to sell their work on like art.com and they're probably getting paid like a micro percentage of, you know, and for me personally, I was really lucky. I've never had an, I've never had to work with an agent or any sort of representation. Like we solely own this company. I, out of the gate, really early on, I got a lawyer and I paid people, you know, it's expensive, but I paid a retainer fee to have a lawyer who I could email and call seven days a week. And in the very beginning, when companies like J. Crew came along being like, Gray, like, would you be interested in making a photograph for Valentine's Day for our social media? And can we use one of your photographs as like an in-store so-and-so? You know, you have, you're sort of like, how do I charge for this? How do I keep them from printing 100,000 postcards in my photo? It's scary. Mm -hmm. So I think for anyone out there, if you have a friend or even a friend of a friend of a lawyer, you should always try to reach out, whether it's pro bono or not, and ask questions. There's so many ways to do it now online that didn't exist back then. Like, just like almost the way like telemedicine's happening, like you can like, you know, get legal counsel advice. So it's the, the price I believe has gone down. But for me, I'm really fortunate that I had a lawyer with me or at least to help me. And when I negotiated my first deal, which was with Sperry Topsiders, we did a limited edition. I kept taking pictures of my shoes hanging out of the helicopter. And I always wore Sperry boat shoes. And I one day was like, I should put my photo on these boat shoes. So I pitched oh, the idea to them. And like, I thought they'd never email me back and they did. And, you know, anyways, I just think it's important that you try to run things by anyone you can get guidance who's older and wiser. And, you know, you always 
have to, you literally have to protect yourself like so hardcore. I have a fierce wall up about that actually, like constantly on a weekly basis with like when we're doing business development. And I think another, just to spin off of your question, I think another thing is that like, I really have a mind for business. And I think a lot of people out there, you know, artists per se, that maybe not, that's not their forte is business. But I, you know, I went to school for marketing. I feel like I know that in order to be successful, you've got to understand like, you know, the, the logical identity of a business and, and how it works and how do you make money and, and growth and opportunity and all of that stuff. And I think that if anyone out there is thinking of starting a company, it's definitely worth reading the stories of other businesses and how they grew and just try to like understand the reality that if your company does get really popular or you start growing, you do really need to have a realistic idea of what to expect, but you're going to learn a lot along the way. Like, don't get me wrong. There's plenty you're going to learn. It's just, I sort of, I never really thought, I did not know what was going to happen. And I just sort of have, have been able to luckily use a lawyer to help guide me to retain the rights and ownership of my name, my likeliness, all of my photographs, et cetera. My advice is definitely to lean on a lawyer if you have the capability to protect yourself. What is next for you? You said, you know, 10 years in the future and, you know, this is a big pivotal turning year for us. I think everyone's sort of ready for 2021 to begin. So what, as you look out to the future, what, what comes next? It's definitely still like hard, but it's hard to say it out loud. But for the last couple of years, I have just been so, I have this vision of the future of art and I am like close to positive art and technology are like merging. And I believe that people just like books to a Kindle People will always want framed artwork in their homes, in their life. But I believe that like there is an opportunity to launch an app where you can buy like a license to a photograph and have a technology driven platform, like a screen in your home and that you can switch out the art that you have a license to. So we are like furiously working on an app and there's no... Like, no, I don't know anyone else artist who's doing it. Maybe there is, maybe maybe not, but I'm really thinking like there's this great subscription kind of opportunity where you could subscribe to an artist and own like a wider portfolio of their work and display it in your home in a different way. So I'm, that's what I feel is coming next. So I- That's awesome. Uh, and I love hearing, I, I feel like you've manifested all of these other things. So I feel like it's not outlandish. Like I'll see that show up in a couple of years and be like, oh, there's the thing he said that he was going to do. <laughs> Great. It was so rad to hear your story and hear how you got from there to where you are today. And if listeners are not familiar, I'm going to tell you right now, Google the name. Because as soon as you Google it, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, that this was the guy. Everybody knows. Everybody knows your work. If people want to find your work or find you online, where can they find you? They can find me at graymalin.com. And then everybody loves the Instagram at graymalin. And then I have a personal Instagram, which is at graymalinpersonal. 
that's more about like my day-to-day life, which some people love too, but yeah. That's awesome. Hey man, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for hanging out and inspiring listeners. And now I'm going to go look up some of the pictures that you just said that I haven't seen because I want the visual to go along with your story. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This is such a... Yeah, of course. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is hosted by me, Rachel Hollis. Our show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with additional production support by Sterling Coates. Our executive producer is Cameron Berkman. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is a 3% chance production.